Hello everyone, welcome to the Melting Pot podcast. I'm your host Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is as a result of my hunger for optimizing business performance, scaling up organizations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions along the way. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a high-quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at dominicmonkhouse.com. Today, I'm talking to an intrepid pair of entrepreneurs, husband and wife, Casper and Nicola Craven. Casper and I did some work together a few years ago and then found ourselves uh, at an event a couple of weeks ago. We were catching up and we had an absolutely fascinating conversation that I felt would be fantastic to share on the podcast. So I've got them on today. Casper decided that the thing that was holding him back in business was that he wasn't focusing enough at home. And he took what he was learning in his business having a purpose, having core values, having goals. And he took that back into his home life. And the outcome was that they sailed around the world as a family for two years. And so tonight they're going to share how the work journey went and then how they plan to take their kids around the world and what that meant. And now that they're back, Casper has been doing keynote speaking about his adventure and what it means and what people can learn from the things that he and Nicola and the family have done together. And now they've created a new business where they're working together to coach entrepreneurs to focus on the family first, really, so that rather than earning money and enjoying it later, make sure that you've got a plan to enjoy it. Enjoy the journey, really. A plan to enjoy the journey. So fascinating conversation and great to talk to them both. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Casper Craven. And uh, in the past, I've uh, built up um, different businesses and uh, sold one of those whilst I sailed around the world with my lovely wife sitting next to me uh, with our three kids under the age of 10. That's the past. And the future and what we're doing now is we're building a personal development company, The Brave You, which is all about putting family first, helping people to build strong, thriving relationships at home so they can be more successful in business. So, um, background. I'm a lawyer by background. So, um, I was a criminal barrister for about 12 years and then gave that up and we joined forces for our sailing plans and uh, sail around the world, obviously part of the family. And now we are doing our mission together. So the Brave You mission. Very good. Thank you very much. It's great to get you on the podcast today, uh, particularly because Casper and I bumped into each other a few weeks ago and hadn't spoken for 2012 I think it was yes yes something like that where 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 we were were doing some business together and so then you were managing director of a technology business Trovis Trovis exactly yes which allowed people to see who'd been on their website even if they hadn't interacted with you Exactly. So that was the first iteration of that business and it evolved after that, but uh, that's where it was back then. So it became a managed services business after that. But yeah, that was, that was our first interaction, wasn't it? Back in yeah, 2012, you're right. Yeah. So. What happened to that business? What's the journey that then goes from sort of when I met you and last met you in 2012 and that, that journey through to sale? What, 
what happened? We were midway through our journey to making things happen at that point. So in 2009, the business wasn't doing terribly well. And uh, Nissa and I were having arguments about money, life, everything else. And that was the point we said, hang on a second, let's create a, a family first story to go and do something differently. So that started a journey of transforming that business. So I met you, we were halfway through that transformation. Um, we carried on doing that. We ended up selling that business in 2015, um, whilst we were yeah, actually on our sailing adventures so from mid-Pacific. Um, but it was, yeah, that sort of yeah, two, three years after we spoke was the transition to becoming a managed services uh, player. So providing data analytics as a managed service. So that's when we aggressively grew the business. And so what does, what does this thing family first mean? So, you know, in turning around the business, mm-hmm. you've, you've put family first. What, yeah. what was going on and why did something need to change? The words family first sound really counterintuitive to building a successful business. But here's the way it worked, right? So before we made this shift, I'd be working 16, 18 hours a day, come back home, have an argument about money, life, everything else. And we were on divergent paths. What we did by putting family first, we said, let's create a really exciting story that engages both of us so we both know where we're going. After that, I still work just as hard. I still work 16, 18 hour days, but I had an end point that I was working towards and there was that shared understanding. So rather than coming home and having an argument, I come home and we had this sort of strong, thriving environment at home that was much more supportive And uh, because I was driven by that deadline, it means I really had to go and learn how to grow in business and and all those things that I've been avoiding doing so far. But it was creating a goal and particularly by making that goal public to all our friends and in particular our kids by saying we're going to go and do this on the 1st of August 2014. That there was no way that that was not going to happen once we'd made that commitment to the family. That was the sale around the world. That was yeah. to sell around the world. That was, our, that was the story that we and, created. And so, why that story? <laughs> Are you big ocean yachtsmen and women already? We, were tra- we enjoyed travelling. So right. We both, we both independently done backpacking and lots of travelling. Casper had sailed around the world previously in 2000 as part of um, the world's toughest yacht race. Uh, the BT challenge and so when we came up with the plan let's go and do something with the children I think the reason it was sailing was we knew we had that skill set between us in our background I mean I wasn't a sailor at all so, um, so let's I, just elaborate on that a bit so Nicola had been on a boat twice, twice. and been seasick both times when we had the yeah. idea I think, uh, yes, so I wasn't, I hadn't come from that background, but I think knowing Casper had got that skill set, I figured that he had that and um, I could learn. And lots of people at that point, by the way, say, did I coerce you? No, it was actually my idea. There you go, I just wanted you to say that. (laughs) Aha. It's still quite a big undertaking to tell everybody and everybody in the world that that's what you're going to do. You didn't think about picking something easier? I think it just it caught our Where's the fun in that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reaction we got was just insane. Everybody just laughed and told yeah. us all we were crazy and, you know, a whole you know, laundry list of reasons why we couldn't go and do it. And actually, you know, that, 
um, I think we're, we're, we're the type of people you tell us we can't do something yeah. that just makes us even more determined to go and do it. So, I was going to say, actually, we came up with the idea, but then we did spend about six months kind of adding flesh to and making it more certain what we wanted to do. It was at that point, then we told everyone what it was we planned. And um, so we did think about it. You know, we came up with the first idea and then we sort of planned it, got it really strong in our minds and then started to tell everyone else about it. So okay, put it up on the kitchen wall. Were you, were you in business on your own or did you have a partner? So I had a business partner, so we okay. were 50-50, so, okay. um, which is an interesting conversation we had to have. So. <laughs> so how did that go? So, well, I, I was very open right from the start, which you have to be, right? I'm all about full disclosure. So when we came up with the plan in 2009, I sat down with, with Ed, is his name, and I said, Ed, this is on the 1st of August 2014, what we would like to do. And I encouraged him to come up with his own vision of the future and what he wanted to do. I don't think he believed me, though. It was only when we finally bought the boats and uh, I said, I really am getting on the boat that he actually finally believed it. Uh, but, you know, we had, we had a lot of conversations and we had a little bit of help sort of, you know, figuring out the way through that conversation because it's not a normal thing to do. So, um, but, you know, it worked out pretty well. And, you know, we're very good friends. And, you know, we both, we both did pretty well under the deal. So, And so you would... Uh, I guess from this, you would, Nicola, it makes it easier to cope with the long hours, I guess, is, is the nub of it. It's right, it sort of, it brings the, there's a value to the long hours and, and the grind to you and the kids. I think when Casper started his business in, it was 2006, it was just, you know, we had young children at home. He was going out to work very early in the morning. He was back late and I didn't really understand I just knew it was, you know, it was long, it was stressful, but, um, and there was an end goal somewhere of, you know, the business being successful and in monetary terms, but it was hard. It was then when we sat down together and we had a joint plan, it felt like we knew what we were working for. So Casper was still doing long hours in the business, but it, equally we were looking at, okay, what could I do to also help our joint plan? It felt like we were working together on a plan that was beyond the business. So ah, okay. it just made it more, it really gave a purpose to what we were doing it for. Why? Yeah, so there was still the long hours. It was still hard work and long hours and, you know, putting the business, you know, sort of first. But because we both had a joint plan, somehow, I don't know, we felt like we were a team working together. Yeah, okay. That makes um, sense. It does. No, it does make sense. Did you have to sell the business to enable the dream? Or was there a version of the future where you went around the world and came back and the business was still there? So we had different um, variations. So plan A was build the business up, sell it before we went away. And we had a good go at that, um, but that wasn't happening um, for various reasons. So 2013, there was a gap in the money between what we needed and where we were. So that was the point in time we looked at all our different resources and just got super resourceful. And we found, um, I had this one um, online marketing site, which I had been singularly unsuccessful in terms of being able to uh, make money from it. And we found people who knew more than we did. And we turned that around and we made that, made that profitable. Then we scaled that to 10 sites, to 23 sites, to 500 sites 
over the space of about six months. When we say we, it was it was Nicola, not me. Um, I just came up with the strategy and the ideas, and she was the one who did the implementation. So in that uh, in that the year before we went away, we built a complete uh, web-based uh, business which provided um, cash flow, mm-hmm. and we also built a property business as well, rental property rental business, so investing in property too. So actually. The, it made the sale of the business unnecessary because um, we built these other income streams. But it was still nice to sell the yeah. business as well, of course. Would you have worked so hard to develop that additional income if you hadn't had that goal? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. We'd have just been working in the business. Correct. Fair so enough. by having the goal, it forced us to create the wealth, which is the thing that gave us yeah. the financial freedom. Completely transformed, I think, how everything was done. Yep. I love talking to people where there's been a really strong purpose. And also... To overlay that with the, you have the, you, you, you decide the end result and as a result, you then, that objective forces your ingenuity and income in a way that wouldn't have done before. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, that, one of my favorite sayings, nothing ever happens without a deadline. And that five years, the 1st of August, 2014, it was literally locked in stone. And, you know, I had this incident um, in uh, April, 2014, where I screwed my back up. I did the London Marathon, pushed on when I should have stopped and I ended up with a bulging disc, couldn't walk. And I ended up having a pretty major back surgery in uh, July 2014. And at that point, everyone's like, well, you can't go now. And it's like, no, we're going. And it's that focus on a goal which says, okay, we're going to make this happen. If we didn't have that mindset, then it would have been pushed back by a year, pushed back, and it would never That's have happened, key. right? So it was key. And we weren't yeah. unsafe, so we took precautions and we figured out a way to minimize the risks and handle the changes. But the date locked in stone was everything. As I said, we put a huge amount of planning in. But I think having, there were two things, having a clear idea of what we wanted to do, having a store, a date, but also telling everybody that we were doing it was really important because then you've made this really public commitment. So it keeps you pushing on. Everyone was saying, you're not going, are you? It's yeah. like... There we go. And telling the children. <laughs> so, you know, we promised the children, we talked about it, we really had colourful stories about it, and there was no way we could do it any differently. So then when the money doesn't work one way, you think, okay, we're going to do it a different way. And then it just made us look at our resources. And so Casper's working full-time in the business. I, we had two young children at home, so I was at home more. So I was like, okay, I could build up the online sites because I had more resources at home. Casper was doing what he did. So we would just thought about our resources we had to hand more uh, smartly. Yeah. What were the online sites? What, what did they do? Online dating sites. Aha. Uh-huh. Catholics dating, doctors dating, teachers dating, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And, were you, and you were just, what, you built myself or using somebody else's platform? So basically we did the front end and we uh, partnered with another company who did the back end. Uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, so basically we did all the marketing front end. So. Aha. Uh-huh. Ah, very good. What, how did the planning go? What was the first thing that you did that was a real sort of the first milestone given the date, August 2014? You'd think it was the boat, but it wasn't. The boat, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. The boat, boat was virtually the last was, thing we got, wasn't it? Yeah. So. so I think what we did, we set out, so I would say our way of planning was here's the end goal. What do we want to do? So we want to be happy. We want to have a great time. We want to come back having really enjoyed it. And then so we work back, okay, what are all the things that have to happen in order to get that end goal? So if we're going to be happy, we've got to be safe. So therefore we went on loads of training courses, medical training, 
um, sail training, engine training, you know, life raft, emergency training, everything, everything we could do just to be totally safe. And I had Excel spreadsheets covering, you know, everything. We were very planned. But I think it was probably, yeah, probably was the safety training and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I've got a stage before that as oh, well, okay. actually, because so. being the only sailor in the family, yeah. I knew that we had to choreograph things really, really oh, carefully. Yeah. So I knew if Nicola or any one of the kids had a bad experience, it would have killed it like that. I mean, I've lost track of the number of people who've been on, on the water, been cold, frightened, seasick, mm. and to say, I'm never getting back on a boat again. So we had to build up the experience really carefully so when it shows the safest places you could sail and only going to go out if it's warm, if it's sunny, if there's this sort of, you know, not much wind and just getting every, and when we come off the boat, make sure Nicola's got a glass of Prosecco, make sure the kids have got ice cream. All that sort of, but it's just making sure that whenever anyone thinks of sailing, only things that come up are happy thoughts. And it was literally yeah. layering up experience after experience, one on top of the other. So the moment anyone says sailing, then you just get a happy memory coming forward. So that was a really important part because, yeah, one bad experience would have killed the whole thing if one child said, I don't want to get on the boat, I hate, no. I hate sailing. Did you then have a plan to how long was it going to take and what's the route? Or did you just sort of set, set sail? No. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> we decided, so at the time we came up with the plan, then that was 2009. So at that point we had a four-year-old and a two-year-old and looking forward, we decided it was going to take us five years of planning. So we worked out that our eldest, Bluebell, was going to be 11. And we wanted to go away for two years. And we wanted to be back in time for her to start secondary school. Because we yeah. figured we were happy to homeschool. But probably secondary school was the point where that would suddenly take on a different complexity. So we worked back from that. So we thought we've got to be back for that year we want to go for at least two years. Therefore, how much time have we got? So it was kind of working back yeah. in advance and um, taking it from there. And then the, with the routing, yeah. there are certain accepted routes for going around the world. And basically, we planned it to follow the winds and the currents. And going across the Pacific in particular, mm. you follow what's called the coconut milk run. So basically, you're going to all the islands where you get the coconuts from. And literally, the trade winds and the, and the currents take you through there so you've got 20 knots of wind behind mm. you you've got warm weather and you've got a couple of knots of currents so literally you're just being swept around yeah. the world and uh, you're just following all these all these beautiful islands so and you do that to avoid hurricane season because there's certain times of year when it's, it's super dangerous to be out there there's yeah the set pathways that we were you know mindful we had young children so we didn't want to go around cape horn we wanted to go through the panama canal mm -hmm. and you know, crossing the Indian Ocean, <coughs> stories of pirates. So it's okay, there's a certain route you want to take. So you're, you know, far enough off the coast, so you're safe. So we were very mindful this was going to be an amazing experience, but not a scary one. And did you have any scary moments or? Yeah, a few. Yeah, we did. <laughs> was a we had, yeah, we had a few. So the um, one, we had uh, power failure um, in the middle of the, yeah. the ocean. So I was liking it to that, that film Apollo 13 where there's the astronauts up in space and their power failure. It was a bit like that, apart from the fact it was me and Nicola and three kids rather than uh, three rocket scientists and the other 50 people back at uh, Mission. <laughs> nobody, nobody trying to work out how to help you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're just trying to figure it all out on our own. 
Um, so that was, um, that was a testing moment. And, you know, we just had to sort of go back to first principles. We did a lot of work before we went away on our values. It was a key thing that transformed our business was doing a values-based approach. And so we applied values at home mm. and uh, we ingrained those in how we lived with each other on board the boat. So we hand out values prizes, little stickers every day, talking about what we wanted to see the kids doing more of. So praising them for the right sort of behaviors rather than, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in the thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. So building up their skills. So, um, yeah, when we're there in the middle of the ocean and we've got, you know, 30 knot winds and we've got waves crashing over the boat and we're sitting there in complete darkness in the middle of nowhere, it's like, well, what do we do? And, you know, talk about that's basically when we lived our values and said, okay, this is how we're going to deal with it. So we found the humor in the situation. Um, the humor back then was we didn't have working toilets. So we, uh, we found a bucket and said to the kids, this is our new toilet. And uh, they thought it was the funniest thing in the world, pooing in a bucket, bucking yeah, over the sides. So, um, yeah. so I, was know, I know we laugh about it now, but back then when you're sort of in the dark and literally in the middle of the nowhere, one of the most yeah. remote parts of the world, you know, you, your mind does race a little bit. It's like, okay, how are we going to deal with this? But, uh, you know, it became one of our defining moments as a team. Mm. And the, what's, what was super cool about it is that our kids saw how we reacted. We didn't panic. You know, we didn't sort of, you know, scream and shout. It's like, okay, what are we going to do? So they've now got a blueprint for what you do when mm. things go wrong. So We knew we had the skills. It's just calm, work it out. Much like trying to find a microphone for the Yeti machine. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> what are the highlights that the kids remember still? I think all the countries, the amazing, uh, so I think amazing wildlife, something he went to St. Helena and uh, the children were snorkeling with whale sharks in the uh, South Atlantic, going on safari in South Africa, going to school in French Polynesia and also in Indonesia. There's just a few. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, you know, I have a lovely memory lying on deck with Bluebell at night so we're sailing across from the Galapagos to the Marquesas Islands, deep in the middle of the Pacific, lying up on deck, looking up at the stars and the shooting stars and just having conversations about whether there's another universe and a world out there. And literally, we're just in the middle of nowhere, just in our own world, and just having those like, fantastic conversations with your kids. Just sort mm. of, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. And was there a point where you thought about not coming back? No, no, no. We, we, so, <laughs> no so, so for us, this was like a specific mission. Yeah. So we're quite goal-driven people, right? So this was a two-year window. We're going to go and do some cool stuff with our kids. And we wouldn't want to just continue going forever and a day. So we come back now. So the Brave You, which we talked about, mm. that's, we're super focused on that. And I said, that's for the next 25 years. So, you know, there's like, we enjoy having a goal and working towards yeah. it. You, you, you got some places you're going to go back to? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think the Pacific was just amazing. I mean, the, all the islands across there. I remember when we got to Australia, we had six months in the Pacific. Yeah. And suddenly arriving in civilization, this, this um, town called uh, Mackay. Remember we had to go to a shopping centre? Yeah, we went to a shopping centre. And Mackay, suddenly there's a Burger yeah. King and a McDonald's. We hadn't seen a shopping centre for like six yeah, months. Yeah, hadn't seen them in a while. I remember this thing, real deep sadness that we'd just been out there in the wilderness. And just these amazing places and these tribal cultures. And then suddenly it's like the civilization and yeah. cars and this sort of stuff. It's like, it's like, so, yeah, I can't wait to go back and go yeah. back to the Pacific again. So. We call it a preview, don't we? Because, I mean, two years is quite a speedy amount of time to go around the world. 
so it feels like we've had a preview of what's out there so to go in at a slower pace how much schooling did you give the kids so that you felt that they were still on top of it when they got back so before going we spoke with both the older two children's teachers and discussed the national curriculum and what we needed and it's fair to say we were loaded down with books so we went through all the curriculum all the books you know had tons of it but when it came to teaching the children on the boat I think we started off trying to do it traditionally and realized that that didn't sort of fit you know we weren't in the classroom and I think um, our son Columbus in particular we were trying to get him to write stories about um, you know subjects that you'd be learning back in this country maybe history and things and he wasn't really very motivated and so I think remember you Casper having a Casper had a conversation with him saying look what are you really interested in and so Columbus said well I'm interested in fishing so therefore that was the start of a conversation okay if you're interested in fishing we're going to teach you maths and English things through the things you love so he would start off fishing And then they would catch the fish. They'd be taking it apart, dissecting it, weighing it. Columbus started a journal about the fish he caught and about all the animals that he saw around the world. So he'd he'd start doing a journal about where he saw them and draw pictures and learn about them, the history, about the the biology about the animals and things like that. So he he kept this amazing journal for pretty much the two years and he started um, a museum the Columbus Museum of things he collected. <laughs> and then that moved on to creating a business with fishing lures. So he'd make fishing lures and then sell them to other boats. So he started to learn in different ways. And then Bluebell, our older daughter, she's very different again. So she started to learn through, she had a business, a bread business, um, where she would sell French bread to the other boats. So when we got in to port, she would she had a scooter and she would go and scoot around all the other boats and they would pay her a delivery charge plus the the money for the bread and she'd go and do that and so just and then she also had a card making business as well didn't she so i guess we they ended up doing projects to learn and um that's how we ended up teaching them i guess so we did some a little bit of traditional schooling but i would say a lot of the stuff they learned were through projects on the boat projects when we got to land and we were more ingenious, I think, so we had to be, to teach them. And um, I think that was more successful. And no hangover when they got back to school? There was, no, there was no gap? It was No, not at all. So I think, in fact, what surprises such how adaptable children are. So they came back and both went to Bluebell, went straight into secondary school. Columbus had another couple of years at junior school. Willow started school. And I'd say all three of them just slotted in seamlessly. As if we hadn't been away. As, well, as though we hadn't been away, both with friends and also the school egg. But I would say they had an enhanced confidence from the time away, probably doing different things. I would say it was nothing but good, actually. Yeah. Well, particularly the business and just interacting with lots of different adults just gives you that as a you know, as a child, just gives you an amazing confidence, doesn't yes. it? Yes. I think also we, you were saying before about what did we do to prepare? And it just reminded me talking about values. We did a lot of personal development work ourselves. And I think with the children, because when we first said we were going away, one of the first things people would say is, 
you're going to spend two years on a boat with your children. <laughs> so you imagine a car journey down the M4 for a couple oh, of hours. Are we there yet, ma'am? Yeah, exactly. And we were going to be, you know, for three weeks at a time in a boat doing ocean passages. So beforehand, we thought, okay, we can't ignore that and hope it's going to be okay. So we did a lot of work on how we were going to work together we did with the children sort of really building us into a family team and i think all the stuff casper was doing in uh, trovis with the corporate team we were taking back and doing at home with the children because we realized we were going to have to to have that amazing experience together in such a small environment give me some examples of the stuff that you brought back from work and did with the kids then. So like the, sort of, the values, I would say. Yeah, so we had, um, so the values was, was a really key one. So um, we did this whole exercise um, at work and someone said, you need to do values. And I realized that was important. And so we, over three sessions at work, we did that. And we talked about what our values were, how do we live them at their very best, and then created rituals and habits, and how we made sure they lived inside the business. So exactly the same thing at home. So uh, first weekend was sitting down with the kids, cutting out magazines and talking about what values were important to us. Mm. And then it was sort of selecting a half a dozen values and then just coming up with examples. So the value of understanding, what do we do when we display understanding and then creating the rituals and the habits for saying, how do we make sure that that lives? So we had the other values prizes over breakfast every day where we handed out stickers and we yeah. celebrated what each person was doing. So that was really they simple stuff, it. but it was... Um, and so we and, had a big picture as well that we created and that was on our... So the what's there? Yeah, we still got it in the house. So um, just all our values. I was just thinking today with my own two who are three and four, though it's a bit like with the dog, you have to take them out and walk them so they get tired or make them go and play in the garden or something. And I was just thinking, there's not a lot of room on a boat. I mean, how did they, how did they work off their energy and not just kill each other? Oh, there's so much to do on a boat. You just so, had them, they sailed the boat. So we would have rituals. So Columbus and Bluebells, the older two would help on deck. So for example, I was in charge of the rigging and he would come around and do rig checks with me on the boat, you know, with his life, life jacket on harness. He said so he would do things like that. Bluebell would help with the radio and the communications stuff. She would help down below. Um, she liked cooking, for example. So Casper liked cooking. So the two of you would do a lot of cooking yep. together. And lots Will- of, Lots of fishing with Columbus. Lots of fishing. Yeah. And so by the time we got boat work, things are always breaking, fixing them. Then there was the schooling, the projects, the creating shops, creating businesses, writing. We did poems. Remember we did the poems? Yeah, hey, we did the poetry thing, right? We, we, we got we, the we, kids we, to create So we had poems. people following us and like emailing us. And we did this thing where we sort of got people to send in their favorite poems. Yeah. And then we did these poetry readings like sort of morning, noon and uh, night. And then we got the kids writing poems mm. and we were sending them out to all the people that are following yeah. us. So yeah, they seem to get creative. And, we did a um, quiz. Do you remember? Yeah, we did a quiz. quiz. Yeah, quiz. kids did a quiz. Yeah. With two koalas, they had to create this a quiz. And then whoever, we kept journals for these koalas, these two stuffed koala bears from Australia. And then whoever answered the quiz and got the highest marks won the koala bears and the journals that we made. So we got the kids making those. We had parties, halfway parties. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we were busy. Okay. 
you got back in 2016? 2016, 2016, yeah, 2016. yeah. And what have you been doing? You said earlier you've got a new joint venture. Have you been doing that since, since you got back? Or So for the last uh, two and a half years, I've been um, standing on um, stages around the world talking about uh, leadership, teamwork and uh, resilience. So doing that as a keynote speaker, um, so, which I absolutely love doing. That's great fun. So I've, I've been doing that continuously since we came back and then launching the Brave You together. So that, that's our shared venture, which is yeah, helping uh, people to take these concepts around vision, values, how do you work together as a family team to create those thriving home team so that you can then go and thrive in business. And I think one of the reasons behind that is, you know, I've, and, I, and you, you and I just chatted about this before, was that so many people, I think, get so focused on work to the detriment of home life. So this is about building, helping other people sort of have some tools to build that really strong home family team so that, that can support you to go and do mm. your best stuff and work. And like no one talks about that. No one talks about the impact of relationship on business. So that's what we want to shine yeah. light on and, you know, really encourage that. A lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, will say, you know, very driven and say, well, I'll sort the business out and then there'll be family time afterwards. And I think it's seen that to spend too much time thinking about your family can be a distraction. And I guess what we're saying is, you know, to have the family clear vision first, not only is it not a distraction, but gives that extra energy and purpose to your business. So it might be seen counterintuitive, but actually can make it even more successful. I mean, I, I find it uh, fascinating and I do something very similar with clients when I'm working with them, which is I get them to work out what their life purpose is before we get on and go and do business planning. Because otherwise, what's the business for? You know, and, and that whole thing about, you know, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? If you get enough money, what's enough money and what are you going to do with it? So that you're not, it's not sort of deferred happiness. It's have a plan because otherwise you'll just dribble along. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's exactly where I was before, right? It was create business, make wealth, make money, and then then go and do family stuff. And it was always, yeah, if then, and it didn't work. So uh, not for us anyway. I think it's also saying to people, you can be really driven, you can still be driven in the business, but now you've got an extra reason behind it. And hopefully, you know, your family are on board with that. And so you're all working towards the same goal. And are you now going to work just as hard this time around, or you've got a different view of work-life balance than you had when you were doing sort of 16 hours a day through to 2014? I think this is a longer, this is a 25-year mission. So the first time was a shorter, we had a shorter time span Hmm. to create something that we wanted to go and do. Hmm. I think this is wanting to really change how people Hmm. look at things. We've given ourselves a longer time frame to do it yeah. so yes yeah we said this all we're going to do for the next 25 years yeah. is focus on this and will we work as hard i can't help myself if i'm <laughs> honest i can't i right. can't help but get drawn into it um but at the same time you know i'm just looking over here we've got our calendar on the wall and we're saying okay for easter we're having two and a half weeks off for the summer Somewhere. we're going to go off and do an adventure so it's making family yeah. time really clearly delineated and, you know, the whole principle we had before was build a business that can run without you. So that's the principle we want to get running with the Brave You. How can we create this so that it's capable of running without mm. us so that we can go and do the family first things? Because yeah. if we don't do that, then we're not really living our messages. Yeah. And so who's your, who's your for the Brave You, who's the target audience? So I would say it's, um, it's entrepreneurs anywhere from, let's say, 25 
350. So people in, in 25, 35 probably haven't had enough challenges yet to know that, that the relationship pain and then people 35 through 50 probably you know young children with young children additional pressures so in the earlier stage it's more preventative how do you prevent the problem before it comes up people in that latter group i suspect probably experiencing some of the challenges it's families entrepreneurs with kids who are striving and want to make stuff and it's a different way to approach it so and we've we talked a bit about the sort of the purpose and the values and, and having a goal are there any other tools or elements of it that you could share? Yeah, so um, so look, so, I mean, having, so certainly having the really clear um, family vision, how the process to go and create the family story, the process to create the purpose, the why it matters, the process to create the values, those are sort of uh, definitely uh, core components and how you involve the kids in that. There's the whole strengths-based approach, so the same way that uh, we did with the homeschooling. So in, uh, in corporate world, a lot of uh, followed a lot of stuff from Donald Clifton and uh, the Strengths Finder stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's taking that Strengths Finder methodology and how do you build on what each person does really, really well. Um, so in the spin-off stuff that we've talked about is the whole education piece and how our education system is fundamentally broken. And so it's turning that on its head. So it's applying those ideas and the strengths-based thing to education as well. So that, that's another part to it too. So, And do you, do you envisage enabling at all people's dreams or is it just helping them plan a dream? I mean, is there, any, is there anything that you know that practicalities of that that you can share with people as well? Or is, it, or is, that, or is that not what you'd planned? There's probably a huge amount of things that we can do, but I think my sense is that you know, everyone's plan, what they want to do will be very, very different. So I think that the most helpful thing we can do, and we're not seeing anyone else doing this, is helping families to create the really clear story, the really clear purpose, the really clear set of values. That's the whole, yeah. what I call creating the family cultural piece yeah. um, of how you do stuff. So I think there's quite a lot in there. There could be other stuff we can do, but I think that's probably our core focus. So. And I think it's also helping people as a family team do this. Because I think there's obviously people who help individuals but often, I mean, we've been through this, you go to maybe personal development, you go on your own, then you come back into your family environment. And actually, unless the other person's on board with you, it's really hard to keep motivated and going forward with what you're learning. Yeah. So this is very much focused on the family team or, you know, you and whoever's most important to you doing this together because I think, um, I don't know that we see other people doing that. No, I think that's actually the other piece that comes up. That's the whole thing about the rituals, the habits, mm. the lifestyle things. So, yeah. you know, diet, sleep, energy, energy ex- all, all those really... sorts of things, you know, that, you know, you and I, we chatted about this stuff. That there's, there's a lot of some similar things with this, but there's a huge body of knowledge there and yeah. that continues to evolve as well. So it's packaging and making a lot of those things accessible. I think to a, lot, too. a lot of things we've done is, learning stuff and then making it simplified so it's easier to digest so for example learning about you know we all know about our influences or i don't know power of sleep and things like this and so it's, it's taking things that sometimes can be quite packaged up in a quite complex way and just presenting them in a simpler way part of our teaching yeah that's brilliant fantastic well well you know all the very best on your 25 year mission <laughs> fantastic um Knowing what you know now, so this is a question I ask everybody, knowing what I know now, if you went back in time 
what do you wish you knew then? What is then and what is it you now know that you wished you'd known earlier in your life? For me, two really important learnings. First of all, don't wait for perfect. So I grew up in this environment where everything has to be perfect and, that, and that's sort of held up as the gold standard and actually realizing that failing is good and just getting on with stuff and moving forward is how you end up being successful. I think that's for me is been the learning. I think for me, I was what you might describe for many, many years as a fixed mindset. And it was only when we had the family goal that we had to make happen that I really embraced learning. I really wish that I had embraced learning and focused on my weaknesses and my failings much earlier on, because that was the way that I figured out the answer to lots of things. And I'm still figuring out mm. the answer to lots of different things, but um, yeah. really embracing learning at a much earlier age. I wish I'd done that. Okay. And it was that, that was driven because you had an objective. And so it was that sort of ingenuity forced by, by, by timescale. Yeah. And if I did, if we didn't have the fear of not achieving yeah. that goal, I wouldn't have gone through the pain and the barriers that I had to go through to embrace learning. Okay. I forced my hand. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And what if you could three books, maybe, or maybe four, because there's two of you. I don't know. It's normally three books, one person, maybe it's six books. Anyway, do you have, do you have some books that made a big difference I think the first uh, one we both probably share. Go on, it's that one. Yeah. Go on then. So I'm quite known for starting a book and not often finishing it. But the one <laughs> I did read and finished was Carol Dweck Mindset, and actually a book that um, I gave my copy on the boat to someone else to say they should read it as well. So definitely that would be my first one. Great mindset. Okay. So Carol Dweck. Yeah. My first one would be I'm reading it at the moment is Ray Dalio's book Principles. Yeah, And I mean, it's just mind blowing the way he built his firm Bridgewater and that whole thing of radical truth, radical honesty, radical transparency, um, embracing learning, embracing weeks is just brilliant. So I wish I found that book many years ago. Yeah. Next one I'm reading currently, it's James Clear Atomic Habits. Right. Yeah. So definitely that's one where brings into mind all the different principles we've used. I find that really when I'm making notes. Yeah. Next one, I have the, the magic of thinking big. I probably read that just before we came up with the idea to sell around the world. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to set up gold, may as well set a big one, right? And yeah. so I think you've definitely been influenced by that one. I know what you're going to say for the last one. Psycho-cybernetics. <laughs> Maxwell Maltz, psycho-cybernetics, which uh, I'm also dip into frequently. That's an excellent book about... What's that, a, what's that about? No, that's about create your um, identity, your self-belief, and how we are all governed. Everything we do is governed by the sort of inner voice that we have, our self-belief. And basically, you can try and do things differently, but he describes it as you'll be snapped back like, I think, an elastic band back to what your self-belief is. And you've got to change. That's where you change things uh, to really make things happen differently. Fundamental book for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. That's great. Uh, there's several there that I haven't read. <laughs> and what, do you have a last one, Casper? The one that um, suddenly popped into my mind, actually, the one I've read recently is uh, Professor Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. Uh-huh. It's just fascinating. The whole, um, you know, the sleep science 
and how we're all chronically sleep deprived, the different chemicals that are going off inside your brain. You realize it's just a set of brain chemistry that's happening to all of us. Really, really insightful book. I thought that interesting one there was that dolphins sleep half their brain at a time. And although, and all the, so they can keep swimming and sleeping at the same time. And although we don't, the fact that one half of our brain is more active when we're sleeping in somewhere new, like a hotel room, accounts for the fact that we, you, have a, you always have a really crappy night the first night because you're just sort of on edge. That sort of evolution stuff is just fascinating. You know, absolutely fascinating. When we came back from the States last time, on the back of that, reading that book, we tried melatonin for the first time mm-hmm. and uh, had a really good night's sleep and didn't yeah. no jet lag. So um, that was quite On cool his time. recommendation that he uses it, we figured if he does, it'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're endorsing it. <laughs> <laughs> Medical disclaimer. Guys, thank you very much indeed uh, for speaking to me today. That's been brilliant. Thanks very much indeed. Dom, it's been awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much. All this information and more can be found at dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find show notes, additional reading and links related to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of the Melting Pot newsletter. The simplest thing to do is to sign up to my subjectively not crap once a week newsletter, where I'll update you on what I've been up to, the most interesting articles I've read, and all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. Social, you can find me on Twitter at Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and share your questions and comments. Thanks for listening.